looking, throwing in the end zone. Montana, touchdown, John Taylor. Young to the air, young to Jerry Rice. Touchdown, San Francisco. Young stumbles on the way back and fires up the middle. Pass is caught by Owens. Hello and welcome to the 49ers Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Al Moriello, and this is your source for the most objective 49ers discussion and analysis, plus timely and entertaining sports and pop culture topics. And today, I'm going to be giving some final thoughts on the 49ers divisional round victory over the Packers, an award for Christian McCaffrey, potentially some help on the defensive line, Debo Samuel's health status, and then we will be diving into the 49ers hosting the Lions NFC Championship game this Sunday in the plus section. Going to be talking about why Josh Allen is not a great quarterback. Jim Harbaugh, formerly of the 49ers and Michigan Wolverines, is now the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm going to review season one of the Paramount Plus show Halo and conclude by previewing the AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and the Ravens. But like always, it starts with the Niners, so let's get right into it. Let's talk Niners! So looking back at the divisional round game against Green Bay, upon rewatch, the defense for San Francisco really didn't play that badly. You know, they they held the Packers obviously to field goals on two of their first three drives inside the Ren zone, got a fourth and one stop turnover on downs. Bad weather obviously affected San Francisco's offense and Brock Purdy through much of the game, more so than it did Jordan Love and the Packers or the Packers defenders who were not slipping. But ultimately, the Packers only had one scoring drive, a field goal. And it was a drive in which they didn't get a first down or score from a 49er player slipping, getting a pass interference, or starting at the San Francisco 20-yard line. That was after the big kick return. So when the Packers had to actually work to drive the ball and score points, there was only one drive in which they did that, and they resulted in a field goal. Again, otherwise, they got a first down from a player, a first down or touchdown from a player slipping, a pass interference, or starting at the 49ers 20. And when we're talking about slipping, that should cut both ways. But it didn't, at least based on all of us that watched the game, it seemed to be a problem for San Francisco's defense, more so than the Packers' defense. And Jordan Love capitalized on that, but he had four passes for 75 yards and a touchdown when 49ers players slipped. And Love Love did not even hit 200 yards throwing, so he had about 120 yards passing if you don't count slips. Slips are part of the game. It is something that the Packers mitigated or eliminated, and the 49ers could not find their footing multiple times on defense. But overall, and and there was obviously that sense of doom and gloom as that game kind of began, the way the Packers were going up and down the field into halftime, the third quarter, when the backers took a touchdown or a four, uh, four touchdown lead and a four-point lead after Moody's 50-plus yard field goal. But it wasn't as bad 
upon rewatch. And the Packers only had, I think, 325 yards of offense. That's, that's not a ton. San Francisco outgained them. And the NFC Championship game, at least right now, will be played high 60s or mid, mid, mid to low 60s and sunny on Sunday. So let's go to awards. Christian McCaffrey was named the Pro Football Writers of America Offensive Player of the Year, which bodes well for him becoming the uh, Offensive Player of the Year at NFL Honors a couple days before the Super Bowl. For the season, he had 339 total touches for 2,023 yards. Both were number one in the league. And his 21 touchdowns tied Raheem Moster. Christian McCaffrey led the NFL in rushing from start to finish of the season. There was not a week where McCaffrey was not the leading rusher. And remember, McCaffrey missed half of the week 17 game and all of the week 18 game with the calf injury. The first time that's happened since the early 90s, Emmett Smith of the Dallas Cowboys. And McCaffrey is the fourth 49er player to go over 2,000 total yards. Roger Craig did it in 1985 and 1988. Still confusing how he's not in the Hall of Fame, having won three Super Bowls. Garrison Hurst in 1998 and Frank Gore in 2006. And McCaffrey will be a very important, I mean, he's the offensive player of the year, right? He's a very important player in a silo, but he's going to be a very important player in the NFC Championship game, and we will get into that in the preview. One roster note to make, the 49ers have opened the practice window for defensive tackle Kalia Davis. He was placed on uh, injured reserve on December 20th with a high ankle sprain. His practice window could be open for four weeks, but they have up until if they make the Super Bowl, which would be 18 days, not 21, or three weeks rather, which would be 18 days, not 21 days given when the Super Bowl falls from when they activated his window. Could he get some playing time in the NFC Championship game? Sure. They could go with five defensive tackles, maybe a little add another extra beefy body inside to stop the Lions run behind Armstead, Hargrave, Kinlaw, Givens, Sebastian Joseph Day is there now. So that's their five defensive tackles. I don't know if they're going to add, excuse me, I miscounted before, if they're going to add a sixth. Or they can wait, you know, if there's any sort of injury and they if they win the NFC Championship and there's a defensive tackle injury coming out of it, they get obviously activate him for the Super Bowl. So Davis own so Davis uh wound up having, you know, a couple stops, a sack before injuring his ankle. Will be an important piece in the future since Kinlaw, Givens and Joseph Day are all free agents, so he's the de facto number 3 defensive tackle signed on the roster for 2024. Will he get playing time Sunday or possibly the Super Bowl? Should they make it? Remains to be seen, but his window is open. Otherwise, Cleland Farrell had surgery. He sent out a picture, I believe it was on Instagram, um, of him being kind of his whole knee was wrapped up. I think Drake Jackson, same sort of thing. So you have two defensive ends that are not going to be available for hopefully the remaining two games, leaving you with Bosa, Chase Young, Randy Gregory, um, Robert Beal active, and then you have Austin Bryant 
uh, on the practice squad along with Alex Barrett. So a practice, um, an injury window that opened, one that's still not open is Debo Samuel. He's obviously not on IR. I'm recording this on Thursday. As of yesterday, Wednesday, he did not practice, but he was on a side field doing running and conditioning drills per Ian Rappaport. He's sore. He's having difficulty getting full range of motion, which is to be expected. Yesterday was Wednesday. That's only really three and a half, four days after the injury. And he still has Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and half of Sunday to get ready. And apparently he was rehabbing the night of the Packer game. Once they won the game, he was attacking his rehab. Kyle Shanahan said that Debo is doing better. It's just that his shoulder is sore. Like we mentioned, there is no break. For what it's worth, Brandon Ayuk and Jerry Rice expect him to play, and I expect him to play as well. I mean, It's the NFC Championship. This is where the Niners were last year before their season got derailed with Brock Purdy's injury. Unless the injury is much more serious than the 49ers are letting on, I think Debo will be there, but then I would... I would you still have to act, you have to consider then activating six receivers just in case he gets knocked out. Then you would still have five. Although the Niners are never going five wide, you could still probably get away with Debo, Ayuk, Ray Ray, uh, Juwan Jennings, and Chris Conley. Um, but his presence on the field would emotionally give a, a huge boost because he is the heartbeat of that offense. He sets the tone intensity wise. Um, what he can do running catching, blocking, and I'm sure, you know, wherever he's at, he's not going to be 100%. If he's able to play, they're going to shoot that shoulder up with a ton of painkillers to try to get him through that. And then if they win the game, hopefully in another two weeks of rehab, he'll be closer to 100% for the Super Bowl, should they get there. But I am, it's a, it's a heart and head estimate right now, but I am expecting slash hoping he plays. And we'll talk about the offense right now in the preview, should he not be able to play. So 10 minutes into the podcast, we are at the preview Detroit at San Francisco. The Niners are a touchdown favorite 630 Eastern on Fox. How did the lions get here? Well, they won the NFC North. They beat the Rams First round, 24-23. to 23. They beat the Buccaneers last week of the divisional round, 31-23. to 23, But they got outgained in both games. The Rams outgained Detroit 425-334 to 334 in total yards, and neither team ran for more than 80 yards. Against the Buccaneers, Tampa outgained them 408-391. to 391. Tampa Bay, however, did have two turnovers, courtesy of Baker Mayfield interceptions. Detroit, none, which in a way winds up being the difference um, in that game. The Lions defense will give up yards, but the offense can keep pace uh, with really any team in the league. And it starts with quarterback Jared Goff. They have a two-headed running back attack with Gibbs and Montgomery, tight end Sam Laporta, receivers uh, St. Brown, Amonara St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, and offensive tackle by a very good line, uh, headlined by Penny Sewell. 
You have guard Jonah Jackson, starting guard, is doubtful. So that line will take a bit of a hit against the 49ers. On defense, defensive end Aiden Hutchinson leads the team with 11.5 sacks. You have rookie linebacker Jack Campbell. Safeties C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Kirby Joseph, who leads the team with four interceptions. As a defense, the Lions have 41 sacks and 16 interceptions. This is an offense that is explosive. They can do it on the ground. They can do it through the air. And it starts with the very strong offensive line, a top three in my estimation, offensive line in the league. We'll see how much that Jonah Jackson uh, injury and presumed absence is going to hurt them, but they're explosive. They're number three overall in the regular season, number two passing, averaging 259 a game, number five rushing, averaging 136, and fifth in points score, 27 Point one per game. Defense is where the Lions could be had. 19th overall, 27th against the pass, allowing 247 yards, but second against the run. Stout against the run, 89 yards per game, 23rd in points allowed, 23.2. How do the Niners match up, at least regular season-wise? San Francisco is the number two overall offense. Number four in passing, 258 yards a game, number three in rushing, 141 yards a game and three in points, scoring 28.9 a game. And overall, defensively, the Niners are the number eight unit. Number 14 against the pass. Struggles like Detroit does, just not as much, allowing 214 yards a game. Third against the rush, allowing 90 a game right there with Detroit. And third in points allowed, 17 and a half. Turnover differential, regular season only. San Francisco's plus 10. Detroit even at zero. So where can the Lions be had? Obviously the pass, the pass defense, right? 247 a game. The Niners are throwing it for 258 a game. We have more stats we're going to go into in the pass defense, but this is also a game where Shanahan should not get away from the run. Shanahan should mix in another running back or two to get to a 25 plus carry just to make the passing offense and the play action pass and the bootlegs off of runs more effective. But let's take a look at Detroit 12 and five, just like San Francisco, their losses an early season loss to Seattle, who is a nine and eight team. They got creamed at Baltimore. Who's 13 and four. Then they lost at home against green Bay, nine and eight at Chicago, seven and 10. And that heartbreaker at Dallas, who was 12 and 5. But of the Lions' 12 regular season wins, only four came against teams with winning records. Week one at Kansas City, who finished up um, 11 and 6. Obviously, that was the game without Travis Kelsey and, and both teams trying to feel their way as the season starts, but an impressive win at Arrowhead nonetheless. Then at Green Bay, 9 and 8. At Tampa Bay, 9 and 8. And at New Orleans, 9-8. and eight. So road wins, impressive. Um, but still, outside of the Chiefs, they've only beaten teams one win above 500. Contrast that with the 49ers. Eight of their 12 wins were against teams with winning records. Pittsburgh, the Rams, Dallas, Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, Seattle twice, and the Eagles. Now, we talked about that pass defense of the Lions and that it can be had. 
It's not being talked about a lot by the national media because it's not as sexy as the Lions story, the Cinderella run, a team that only had one postseason win in the Super Bowl era going into these playoffs. But the Rams, I'm sorry, the Lions have given up at least 345 passing yards in its last five games. Those games going from present to past, the Bucks and Rams in the playoffs, the Vikings, Cowboys, and Vikings at the end of the regular season. None of the above five, four teams, but five games, none of those teams went over 100 yards rushing in total. It happened last at Chicago week 14, and that was a combination of running backs and Justin Fields. Prior to that, the Saints uh, a week or two before went over, and that was, again, a combination of running backs and Taysom Hill. The Lions are only giving up 89 rushing yards a game. They can stop the run. We'll see if Shanahan gets away from the run at all to try to exploit the pass or getting back to a ground-and-pound offense and run-pass split that is a bit, well, it's not even closer to 50%. It should be maybe 60-40 run-to-pass. If Debo does not play, here are some alarming stats. Yards per play with Debo, 7.1. Without, 5.6. Yards per rush with Debo, 5.6. Without, 3.6. And QBR, 74 versus 65. Now, the yards per rush is interesting because Debo doesn't really get many carries a game anymore. So the fact that there is a two-yard difference If you want to attribute some of that to Debo's blocking, any sort of offensive deception with Debo being on the field, I think there's more to that two-yard per carry discrepancy with Debo on. And this is not Debo injured. This is if he's not on the field, taking a breather, and they decide to run the ball. There is a two-yard difference. Interesting. Now, my solve for this, since last podcast I talked about positionless football and how I don't believe... Shanahan is truly playing it when you have no other tight end getting involved. When Debo's out, you have no other receiver really filling that role. If Debo is unable to go, or if he is able to play and Kyle is a bit squeamish about any handoffs or jet sweeps, bring Eli Mitchell in to play the Christian McCaffrey role, which is a running back. And move McCaffrey over to the Debo role. Split him out wide. Get him a wide receiver screen. Get him a tunnel screen. Get him a a jet sweep. McCaffrey and Debo in those roles or positions would be the same red alert for the defense. You have a top flight offensive weapon either lining up in the backfield, in the slot, out wide with two receivers in front of them. They know that they want to get Debo the ball. Defenses know Shanahan wants to get McCaffrey the ball and Kittle and Ayuk, amongst others. But I firmly believe in the absence of anybody else, and I still think Ray Ray McLeod can do it, and if Kyle's worried about his slight frame or putting the ball on the ground, then have McCaffrey fill that role in a two-running-back set 
with Eli Mitchell. Remember, there's been times in numerous games this year where both Samuel and McCaffrey lined up in the backfield, whether it was a shotgun play with Purdy or if Purdy was under center. There's no reason you can't do it. McCaffrey, is it a, you know, a couple plays that we'd have to learn this week? Sure, but he's been in the offense now for a year and a half, and I think he's a pretty smart dude. He can handle it. Get Eli Mitchell more involved so you can get McCaffrey more involved in Debo's plays again, should Debo not be able to go. Now, matchups to watch. I mentioned this one earlier. The Lions O-line versus the Niners D-line pass rush and run defense. No sacks last week against Jordan Love and the Packers. In the previous playoff game, the Packers did not allow a sack to the Cowboys. The Lions offensive line, even if they don't have Jonah Jackson, is a better offensive line than the Packers. They could stonewall the Niners' pass rush. But also the run D got exploited by the Packers, at least in the first half. Then Mike LaFleur went away from it. Those outside outside zone runs, which San Francisco and Miami really made famous, were giving the 49ers' defense problems, but also giving their defensive ends at the time Young and Bosa problems as they were being blocked by receivers just to get the edge so Aaron Jones or Patrick Taylor were able to get the edge. Now it's going to be Jameer Gibbs, who has a lot of speed, and David Montgomery, who can get outside but is more of an in-between-the-tackles runner. And that line, that Detroit line of Penny Sewell, Graham Glasgow, Frank Ragnow, whoever's going to be in there for Jonah Jackson and right, Taylor, right tackle Taylor Decker, not could, will give the Niners D-line problems. Jared Goff, over 17 games, was only sacked 30 times. So you're talking less than two sacks a game in the regular season, but he was sacked five times in the two playoff games, and that obviously averages two and a half against the Rams, who don't have a particularly great pass rush, and against the Bucks, who do not have a great one as well. If they can, if they can get Goff on the ground at least three times, and you know, fifteen or so hurries pressures, I think they can make him. Uncom- that will make him uncomfortable. And Jared Goff, although he has had a resurgence in Detroit, can unravel. He will feel the pr- the rush. He will see the rush. You can get him to make mistakes. He is not the same quarterback in Los Angeles that Sean McVay traded to the Lions. He has improved. And Ben Johnson's offense for the Lions has really accentuated some of the things that Goff likes to do. Like San Francisco, a lot of in-breaking routes with the receivers. In-breaking routes between the numbers are what the 49ers defend almost better than anyone in the league. They're, I think, in a top seven in that. This is not special to any quarterback. Get Goff uncomfortable. You can rattle him. Good things can happen for the Niners' defense. Now let's flip it around. The 49ers run offense versus the Lions run D. This is strength on strength. Kyle Shanahan, please do not minimize the volume of carries you could have because you know you can throw. All teams have been able to throw on this 
Lions defense, and especially recently, the past five games, we're going to get into that. You don't need to start out throwing to prove a point. You don't need to throw the ball to open up the run. The passing game will always be there. The Lions secondary and pass defense is bottom five of the league. Throwing the ball will always be there, which to me means you can commit more time and more carries to the run knowing that the pass will always be there. Does that mean Purdy's going to go 25 for 25? No. But I can see him completing 70% of his passes. I can see a 23 for 29 type of game. But I also want to see 20 to 25 to 30 carries or more. I mentioned last podcast, this is no longer a marathon where you need to preserve McCaffrey, although he didn't. <laughs> he really didn't. Now it's a sprint. It's a two-game sprint, hopefully a two-game sprint. Give McCaffrey 15 to 20 carries. Give Mitchell 5 to 10 carries. If you want to be crazy and throw Jordan Mason and give him 3 to 6 carries. I know it's playing into the Lions' strength, but this is a run, even with Purdy and how efficient he is, this is the most efficient and explosive pass offense in the league. Yes, but it's also the most efficient and explosive plays run offense. And we saw McCaffrey busting off a 30-plus yarder against Green Bay when they needed it to retake the lead. I guess it was in the third quarter. Try to get to 30 carries. Again, the pass is going to be there. You don't need to open up throwing because you know you can. The Lions aren't going to stop you behind the line of scrimmage for half your plays or a quarter of your plays. See what McCaffrey can break. See how you can get to a second and seven or maybe a third and four, third and five. It opens up more of your playbook for Purdy with Ayuk, with Kittle, with McCaffrey out of the backfield, hopefully Debo, Jennings, Juszczyk. Say it one more time. The passing game is going to be there. You shouldn't have to limit your volume of runs because you can think, think you can throw for 500 yards on them. And the Niners, let's just, you know, bridge into this. The Niners receivers against the Lions secondary. Here's all you need to know, guys. So, right, the last five games, they've allowed at least 345 passing yards. And I mentioned the Bucks. that's Baker Mayfield. Stafford of the Rams, okay. Minnesota Vikings, Nick Mullins. Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott. And the Vikings again, Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins threw for around or over 400 yards versus Detroit twice. He also threw several interceptions. Mullins is going to do that. I think Purdy will be a bit more cautious with the ball. And I think obviously the Niners have more weapons than the Vikings did with, yes, they have Justin Jefferson, but there was no TJ Hawkinson. Mullins coming in almost cold in a way as the number three, four, three or four quarterback on that team, depending on how you're looking at the QB rotation after Kirk Cousins went down. If Nick Mullins, former 49er quarterback, UCL elbow reconstruction patient, much like Brock Purdy can do it, the Niners can do it. But that doesn't mean, again, that you only have to throw, that you come out with a script that is pass heavy. 
To me, the Niners win this game if Purdy throws for under 30, under 30 attempts, which again, somewhere between 26 and 29, but they have 30 plus runs. They can get to about 60 offensive plays. I think, and that kind of maybe 55, 45, 60, 40 pass to run split. I think they're going to be in really good position to win this game. The last matchup, now let's flip it around. The Lions receivers, Amon Ross St. Brown, Sam Laporta, and Jamar Gibbs against the, the Niners linebackers and secondary. Amon Ross St. Brown is a stud. Sam Laporta, as a rookie tight end, you know, setting all sorts of records, fellow Iowa tight end, much like George Kittle. He's a difference maker. And Jamar Gibbs is a weapon like McCaffrey as a runner and a pass catcher. I think he's caught, he caught more than 45 or 50 passes this year. Warner, Greenlaw, whoever's in the slot, I guess it's going to be Diamador Lenore, and the secondary need to control that. Now, Ambry Thomas, reading some articles, was in a way blaming his performance on being a bit rusty, being out for two games prior to the divisional round. Hopefully he bounces back. You guys know how I feel <laughs> about Ambry Thomas. But Amon Ross St. Brown will cook him. Josh Reynolds, I think he give Thomas problems. Could this be a game where Charvarius Ward shadows Amon Ross St. Brown? Maybe. They're not going to... The way that Detroit can spread the Niners out, they're not going to be able to really double receivers all that often unless they're in you know, some sort of 11 personnel, two receivers, um, a running back, a fullback, or two tight ends. But the, the Lions can put up points. Obviously, what it comes down to for me is, and maybe this is too simplistic, which defense has the better chance of slowing the opponent's offense? And to me, it's San Francisco's defense. They are not the super dominant unit that they were in years past, but they have playmakers at every level. D-tackle, D-end, linebacker, corner, Safety with Gibson. One of the things to actually th to consider is it going to be at the other safety spot, Logan Ryan, who took some bad angles in pass and run defense against Green Bay last week over Jair Brown, who I thought sat because he wasn't healthy with his knee, but it sounds like it was a coach's decision to go with Logan Ryan because he was more experienced. And it was said that Jair Brown is a little too aggressive and they did not want Green Bay to exploit that. Well, the aggressiveness can be an issue against Jared Goff, these receivers, and Ben Johnson's offense. So, but we'll see. If, if Logan Ryan's going to play, he's got to be more disciplined. He's got to be more aggressive, but aggression under control, not giving up big plays. We'll see who's going to start opposite Tayshaun Gibson. For me, at home, good weather. Not sure. There's a lot of Lion fans traveling out for this game, and it sounds like Delta has... Um, established, I think, a daily nonstop route from Detroit to San Francisco to meet the demand for fans to travel to this game. What that means for fans in the stands, I am not sure. Last week, it sounded like there was about, there was over 90% of fans in the stands were 49er fans for the Packers, and Packer fans travel well. Lions fans, now I was looking up just for my own curiosity, prices to tickets, I mean, 
you know, it's at least 600 to get in the door, upper deck, anything lower than that, you're going well over 1,000 or more. But for fans that have not seen the Lions get this far since 1991 when Barry Sanders was the running back and Wayne Fonts was the head coach, this is a trip that they're going to want to make. We'll see how many Lion fans are in attendance at Levi Stadium. All that being said, the Niners being a seven-point favorite, I don't think the Niners will cover, but I do think the Niners will win 27-23 to in Santa Clara. You know, is there the possibility of the Niners that can blow this open a little bit, you know, more so? Yes, because again, look at who the Lions Nobody wants to do this because the story is too good. The Cinderella story is too good. They've played two 9-8 and eight teams in the playoffs. So, so have the Niners. The Niners played one, the Packers. Otherwise, four of their 12 wins were teams over 500. I mentioned them. The Chiefs week one, the Packers, the Bucks, and the Saints. That is not overly impressive They saw Dallas, they lost by a point. They went to Baltimore, they got shellacked. They lost in overtime to the Seahawks. They lost against the Packers on Thanksgiving Day, and they lost at Chicago by a couple scores. In a lot of ways, the Lions have not seen a team like San Francisco. I'm not saying they're they're any better than any of the teams that I mentioned. You know, hell, the, the Ravens beat the Niners by two touchdowns on Christmas night. But in terms of the wins, in terms of the teams that they immediately beat in the playoffs, this is a different level of competition. This is a clear step up in competition. And unless the Niners are tight and Kyle Shanahan plays not really a conservative game, but just gets away from stuff that's working. Even as much as I said, I want him to establish the ground game because that is obviously something the Niners do really, really well. Number three, running the ball, averaging 141 a game. The Lions only give up 89 a game, so split the difference. You know, maybe they run for 115, 120 yards. That's that's still a good amount. That can open up a lot more for them. But I think short of the Niners being tight, short of Kyle getting away from what's working in mid-game, if the pass was what's working, stay on it. But safe, high-completion passes for Purdy. If the run game's working, don't get away from it. Don't get cute. Don't get stupid. Go with with what's working. You just obviously can't do it ad nauseum. At some point, the lines are going to adjust. And unless Brock Purdy unravels, you know, we're talking a four-interception game against the Ravens, and the Niners were still only lost by seven. And still had a chance to cut it to a one-score lead if they had you know, better play calling the last couple minutes when they got inside the five. Goff can have a game. Could have a good game against this defense. They have difference makers. St. Brown, Laporta, Gibbs. They could slow down the Niners' run. But I think when you look at these rosters, when you look at the talent, how the talent works together, I don't really see anything, a position group, or anything that's in the Lions' favor. That doesn't mean they can't win. Who thought the Packers were going to pound 
the Cowboys. Who thought the Texans were going to pound the Browns? The Browns were everybody's AFC darling. Dark horse could make it a problem for Baltimore. They got smoked. Playoffs, any given Sunday, I understand that. We've read a lot about this this team understanding the urgency that they're back to where they wanted to be. They're back to where they were last year, NFC Championship game. Kyle Juszczyk and others saying, you know, you can't just snap your fingers from last year to this year and just start where you finished. A lot went into it. A long regular season, a divisional round game, but everything the Niners have played for and committed to this season, the number one seed, being relatively healthy, getting the championship game at home, it's all fallen right for San Francisco, and I think they capitalize, like I said, 27-23, and will, slash hopefully, advance to the Super Bowl. So that concludes the 49ers section of the podcast. Stick around. I'm going to talk about why Josh Allen is not a great quarterback. Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers. I'm going to review season one of the Paramount Plus show Halo and preview the Chiefs at the Ravens. Stay with us. It's plus time. So a lot of talk this week. Obviously, Brock Purdy was on a lot of people's minds in terms of how he performed, and he's not that good, and Jordan Love's better, and now Jared Goff's better. A lot of craziness. Josh Allen seems to keep skirting by, much like Jordan Love's two-interception performance and game-losing interception against San Francisco, In terms of, you know, how good of a quarterback is he? He can't get over the hump, can't beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, did win this regular season at Kansas City. He's been to one AFC championship game, has not won an MVP. And to me, he is not a great quarterback. And here is what too many people do. Do not, do not confuse elite traits with being an elite quarterback. For someone like Josh Allen, the whole should be greater than the sum of the parts, and it's not. It's just not. He's got a great arm. Can get him into trouble. Throws a lot of picks. Forces a lot of bad passes. But that's excused because he can run can pick up stuff on the ground because he's such a big, strong, fast, can fit the ball into a keyhole. Remember, based on the media and people's opinions, you can only make mistakes if you are a physical specimen. If you're not, you suck. If you are not a freakish physical specimen, you are not allowed to make mistakes. The inverse of that is true. If you don't have all the physical traits... Someone like a Brock Purdy, like a Drew Brees, uh, like a Russell Wilson to a certain extent, or, or normal pocket passers that don't, don't have huge arms. You should be given a little bit more slack, a little bit more leeway, because maybe you do force a ball in there, but you don't have the arm strength to get it in, and it gets picked off. Or you can't escape the pocket, and you get sacked more, or strip sacks, fumbles, whatever it may be. But again, processing power and the pure art of quarterbacking, which is reading the defense and throwing the ball to where it needs to go, an open receiver, is not as sexy as the physical specimen. Josh Allen does not elevate his team. If Josh Allen was the man, they would, be at, they would have gone to more than one 
AFC Championship game. He would have been in a Super Bowl. He would have been in an MVP discussion more than he has been. And yes, the divisional round from a couple years ago, they scored with 13 seconds left and the Chiefs came back. Hey, that stuff happens. It happens. They didn't win the game. That's an instance where you could say he got his job done, but the Bills defense didn't. All right. But I'm sure there were passes that he missed that game. Hey, the playoff game against Kansas City, right? How about that drive where they settled for the field goal that Tyler Bass missed? What was it, 27-24 final? He decides to go for the home run ball, the touchdown. The uh, defensive lineman pushes his left guard into him. He doesn't get enough on the ball. It bounces in front of the receiver. Now you can say, oh, well, he got hit on that. How many times did Purdy get hit? The, the, the Packers had, in some ways, relentless pressure on him, pushing the pocket. Purdy navigated the pocket better than Josh Allen did. Allen could have navigated the pocket, stepped to his right, and made a better throw. Or he could have taken Stephon Diggs on the underneath route for an easy first down and keep the drive alive. But no. He wanted to go big time. He wasn't aware of the rush. He wasn't aware, aware, aware of where he was in the pocket. Left it up to his field goal, they, uh, to his kicker, and they lost the game. That's who Josh Allen is. He's not going to take the safe. He's not going to take the smart play more often than not. He's not going to take the open play more often than not. He's going to push the ball downfield. He's a gunslinger. That's great. You saw it with Brett Favre, for those of you that are that were alive or remember that with the Packers. Got him into a lot of trouble, threw a lot of interceptions, and that's who Josh Allen is. He's a turnover machine. Since he's been in the league, five seasons, he has thrown the most interceptions, 66. Behind him, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, and David Carr. Or Derek Carr, whoever the whoever the newer car is. I keep getting them confused. That's not exactly elite, smart quarterbacking company. If you want to say, well, don't, don't give me his first two years. He was still learning. What about his last three years? Sure, I'll give it to you. Last three years, 47 interceptions. Still leading the league. Behind him is Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, and Derek Carr. He led the league in interceptions this year with 18. It's no coincidence the last month of the season that the Bills won four straight because new coordinator Joe Brady asked, not even asked, told Josh Allen, you're going to throw the ball less. We're going to run the ball more with James Cook. We're going to be more balanced. Hey, remember that balanced offense thing? I know it's crazy, but it's also the reason why Dan Marino only went to one Super Bowl. Because he only had a thousand-yard rusher once during his entire career. And it was late in his career with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the running back out of UCLA. The last four weeks of the regular season... Joe Brady's offense limited Josh Allen to 26 pass attempts. Brock Purdy for the season, you know, dink and dunk Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, you got to protect him. You got Christian McCaffrey and Eli Mitchell running the ball. Averaged nearly 28 passes a game. They asked Josh Allen to do less 
passing-wise than Brock Purdy. Yeah, Purdy is the one crucified. Yes, Josh Allen does stuff on the ground with his legs. That's great. That's going to fade in time. See Cam Newton. He has got to learn to be a better pure quarterback. He's a very good quarterback, but he's not great. And I will go over my tiers. And I actually changed one of the tiers of quarterbacking um, between the last time I, I did this. There is only one elite quarterback in the NFL, people, and it's Patrick Mahomes. He can do it with stars. He can do it without stars. He can move. He's not a runner like a Lamar or a Josh Allen, but he can move when he needs to. He is the only elite quarterback in the league. Under him is Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's a great quarterback. He's had injury issues, ACL, his hand. So he's missed some time. But Joe Burrow is one cool dude on the football field, man. And yes, he's had weapons with Chase and Higgins and Boyd and Joe Mixon and some decent tight ends, but he's also had a terrible offensive line. Got to a Super Bowl. Beat the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes three straight times. Once in Kansas City to get to a Super Bowl. Josh Allen, have you done that? No. Aaron Rodgers. Hurt this year. Still to meet a great quarterback. We'll see what he comes back with in his age 40, 40, 40, 40 or 41 season with the Jets. But only a couple years removed from back-to-back MVPs. Next tier, excellent. This didn't exist the last time I did that. Lamar Jackson. He's got one MVP. He's going to have another one. He's become a better passer under Todd Munkin's offense, being offensive coordinator. And he's doing a lot the past half of the season without his favorite weapon, tight end Mark Andrews. Those are your top four. Elite is Mahomes. Great is Burrow and Rodgers. Excellent is Lamar Jackson. Then you have the very good tier, which I'm not breaking up because they're all kind of close together. Maybe I'll take time in the offseason to break this down further, but here are your very good quarterbacks. Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins. I know you a lot of people don't like him. He's a very good quarterback, y'all. Tua, know a lot of people don't like him. He's a very good quarterback for what Mike McDaniel wants to do in Miami. Yes, Brock Purdy, and I'm going to hold judgment on C.J. Stroud or Jordan Love because we haven't seen enough of it yet. If you haven't seen enough of Brock Purdy, who's played more than C.J. Stroud, then you haven't seen enough of C.J. Stroud to make any sort of second coming pronouncement, and same with Jordan Love. So those are your top 12 quarterbacks, not counting Stroud and Love. And to me, Josh Allen is not Lamar, he's not Aaron Rodgers, he's not Joe Burrow, he's not Patrick Mahomes. Yes, he's got a great arm. Yes, he's a big guy, strong, that can run. But again, do not confuse elite traits with an overall elite quarterback. With Josh Allen, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole, and it should be the other way around. Now let's talk about NFL coaching news, specifically Jim Harbaugh leaving national champion Michigan Wolverines, his alma mater, to take over head coaching duties with the LA Chargers. There was discussion, or I saw some stuff, some news, as early as yesterday, and last night, 
Wednesday night was when this announcement was made that he hadn't reached a deal with the Chargers and is now working on a deal with the Wolverines. Well, he's now the Chargers head coach. He is a coach that has had success everywhere he's been. Started with University of San Diego, went to Stanford, turned the Niners around instantly. Three straight NFC Championship games, one Super Bowl appearance, Got was at Michigan for, what, seven-plus years? Finally, three straight seasons of beating Ohio State, multiple years in the college football playoff, and finally winning the national championship, going through Alabama in the semifinal and thumping Washington to win the title. Now, if Harbaugh sees this as unfinished business, not getting a Super Bowl with the Niners, sure, I can I can buy that. He's going to the Chargers, the the opening with the best quarterback spot, the most underachieving team in the league the past five seasons since Justin Herbert has come into the league. Now, obviously, there were allegations, sign-stealing things. Who knows what else could be coming down from the NCAA? Any sort of sanctions? Some people can look at it and say, well, Harbaugh is getting out. He's getting out while the getting's good. He's going out on top, which is obviously a fact, but he's getting out. One, take a quick step back, before the 12-team playoff, which theoretically could make it or should make it more difficult for anyone to win the championship, right? Because now you're going to have to play more playoff games to get to the national championship. Yes, the top four teams get a bye, but then you still have the quarterfinal, the semifinal, and the final. So you are playing one extra game to get to a national championship. But others are saying, well, he got out before the sanctions came down. He got out before he was going to get slapped on the wrist, much like Pete Carroll did when he was USC's coach from 2001 to 2009, won a couple national championships and bolted for Seattle. Then the hammer fell on USC. I don't think that's a cynical way to look at it. That's a, I don't even want to say astute, but it's a judicious way of saying, hey, listen, it all came together. For Jim Harbaugh, won the championship, got an opening for a very talented yet underperforming team, and oh, by the way, what's going to happen with Michigan moving forward? Jim Harbaugh makes the Chargers an instant challenger to the Chiefs in the AFC West and an instant AFC challenger for a Super Bowl. He is going to make that team better overnight, his personality, how he's demanding. He's going to unleash Justin Herbert, but also control him in a way, take some of the bad plays away, take some of the bad throws. He's going to make that defense much tougher. You got pieces. You got Khalil Mack if they don't release him in the offseason. You got Joey Bosa. You got Derwin James on the back end. You have some other linebackers you can work with. They're going to be disciplined. They're not going to beat themselves. Like, the, like, that was Brandon Staley's M.O. for the past three years. They beat themselves a lot of times because he got too stupid with going for it on fourth down or just making bonehead decisions. Harbaugh won't do that. He will demand his team to be strong and tough and mentally tough, disciplined. He is good for at least three wins. Just being the head coach. Just his presence at least three wins. Then you factor in the coaching, what he's going to do to the offense and defense. This could be a, a an 11 or 12 win team next year. It could. Now the Chiefs are going to be stiff competition, obviously in the West. 
Denver, we'll wait to see who their quarterback is. The Raiders with Antonio Pierce, good hire. We'll wait to see who their quarterback is. You still have a gauntlet in the AFC. Buffalo, I don't think, is going to blow it up. Miami should still be pretty good. The Jets, if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, is going to be pretty good. You have Baltimore. Whoever else in the AFC, does Cleveland take a step forward? Does Cincinnati? What's going to go on with Houston? Do they take a step forward? Or Jacksonville? And then obviously the Chiefs in the West. It's still a gauntlet to get through. And they actually play Baltimore. So the Chargers are going to host the Ravens and John Harbaugh, another Harbaugh Bowl, this regular season, which obviously should be a really good one. But congratulations to the Chargers. They got their man. There was no reason for Harbaugh to go to Atlanta, not having a quarterback. Yes, it was the easier division, but I don't think Harbaugh looks at that. I think he's going to look at the team. The Chargers are a farther along team personnel-wise, and he is obviously going to put his stamp on it. So let's move from football to TV. I recently watched Halo Season 1 on, it's on Paramount+, Plus. Uh, but the reason why I watched it is because I have Optimum for my cable provider. I have Showtime. Showtime and Paramount Plus merged, and as an appetizer for Showtime subscribers, they gave you access to, I think, five or six series to watch, one of which was Halo, and I watched that, the other being Star Trek Discovery, which I think is on its fourth or fifth season, final season upcoming, which I want to watch as well. I'm obviously going to, I'm going to actually keep, not keep, I'm going to enroll in Paramount Plus in the coming days because season two of Halo um, kicks off beginning of February. I do want to watch a couple Star Trek series, Strange New Worlds season two. I watched season one. Uh, was very good, and Picard, following Jean-Luc Picard, seasons two and three, I want to watch that as well. So I'm going to continue with Paramount Plus for at least at least through when Halo season two is over, and those, those are weekly releases, which again is the anti-Netflix model, but which I like for the, make gives me something to look forward to TV-wise. Now, Many of you know this is a series based on Xbox's video game franchise, which consists of 12 games. It's a first-person shooter game, things I just have never gotten into video game-wise. I have friends or people that I used to know that play it and, and really like the Xbox series, uh, the Halo series, and it's a great, famous video game series. And if you don't know the story, it's a future sci-fi war series in which humanity who's headquartered on the planet called Reach, is battling an alien force called the, the Covenant. Follows the main character, the main soldier, Master Chief, who's also known as, his, his name is John, a superhuman warrior who are called Spartans. And he, is, he finds and is able to interact with a Covenant, covenant artifact. As is a human being who is living among the aliens, the Covenant, is able to interact with it as well. And all it, the interactions for John shows glimpses of his past, being a child. It makes him question his past, where he's come from, who his parents are. And for the human living among the Covenant, it's, it gives her glimpses of the, the past and the future. And this human is sent to infiltrate the human warriors, the Spartans, and she winds up becoming one with them, seeing their plight, not, not thinking that humans are as bad as the Covenant thinks, and starts to fall for Master Chief because she sees that they are 
that they have, you know, the same abilities with this artifact, that they are in, in a lot of ways, the same being. The human beings leading scientist, Dr. Halsey, a female character believes that these artifacts when combined will lead to a weapon or create a weapon that will defeat the covenant. And that weapon is being called the halo. In this series, you learn how the Spartans came into being. I'm not going to go into any detail for those of you that haven't watched it. It's nine episodes. To me, it's better than it has any right into being for a video game adaption. Now, how closely this series follows the video game franchise, I have no idea. I don't know. I, I know that the bad guys are the Covenant. I know Master Chief's the main character. I know it's a shooting game. I don't know if there's a human being living among the Covenant. I have no idea. And I'm sure... If I read through social media or Reddit, I'm sure there's going to be fans that are blasting the series for not being totally true to the video game. All right, that's fine. There was one cool scene toward the end or a couple scenes toward the end of the season where you see the Spartan warriors, the humans battling the Covenant through their uh, helmets, through their heads up displays. And it looked like what they were seeing was footage taken from the video game. I could be wrong on that, but I think that was the intent. If you like sci-fi, I mean, this is not hardcore sci-fi, right? It's sci-fi in space, army, war type stuff. The CGI gets a little wonky sometimes when they're showing the covenant race of beings, but otherwise, you know, spaceships and stuff, um, the CGI is, is pretty decent outside of I think the last episode (laughs) and whenever they really focus on those covenant aliens, you know, to me, it's like a seven and a half, maybe an eight out of 10. You know, this is not game of, you know, this is not game of Thrones. This is not house of the dragon. It's not the last of us. If those are nines and tens, then this is as a seven and a half or eight, this feels about right. And like I mentioned, Season two arrives arrives early February. If you are an Optimum customer that has the gold plan that has Showtime on demand, you can watch, like I mentioned, Halo, Star Trek Discovery, among others, through your on-demand feature. If you're interested in what you hear, I I would check it out. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by Halo. And last but not least, the other championship game, and and to, to many, the bigger one, and even myself included, Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes, Chiefs at Ravens, 3 o'clock on CBS from Baltimore. A lot of stars. You have Mahomes, you have Kelsey, you have Isaiah Pacheco, you have Chris Jones on defense. Obviously, Taylor Swift for the Ravens. You have Lamar Jackson and Odell, although in a backseat role. You have Mark Andrews maybe returning. You have Zay Flowers at receiver. You have Marlon Humphrey, Humphrey maybe returning. Uh, you have Hamilton, uh, the defensive uh, in the in the second in, in the secondary as a safety. You have your linebackers, Queen and Roquan Smith. Um, you have Jadavian Clowney and others on the line. This is a battle of two heavyweights. Where they make their hay offensively, Casey throws it better, but Baltimore runs it better. Baltimore is the number one run offense in the league. Kansas City has gotten to be more balanced, but looking at the stats, I was surprised that they've only run, they only average 105 rushing yards a game, less than that in their two playoff games. Baltimore averages regular season seven more points 
per game. The Chiefs wound up beating up on the Dolphins in Arctic temperatures for their first win, went up to uh, Buffalo, beat the Bills 27-24. And the Ravens, last week of the divisional round, struggled with the Texans 10-10 at the half, but the Texans did not score after that. Baltimore scored the next 24. They did not allow an offensive touchdown, so just a field goal and a punt return for a before-that-high-flying offense orchestrated by quarterback C.J. Stroud did not happen. Baltimore put the clamps down on them because defensively, looking at this matchup, these are both top-six overall defenses and top-six pass defenses. Against the run, Baltimore is 14th. The Chiefs are 18th. Points allowed, they're top two. Baltimore one, Kansas City two. Turnover differential. This was startling. Regular season, Baltimore is plus 12. The Chiefs are minus 11. That is a 23 turnover numerical difference in those defenses. Looking at sacks and picks, Baltimore 60 sacks during the regular season, 18 interceptions. Kansas City held pace 57 sacks, but only 8 interceptions during the regular season. So questions that I have, which run D will step up more? They are both middle of the road. Baltimore 14th, Kansas City 18th. The Chiefs being 18th should be concerning. Can they stop Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, those Three were going to be the predominant runners, and it could very well be Lamar Jackson that leads the game rushing for the Ravens. Can Steve Spagnolo contain Lamar? That's a rushing and passing thing. While he's made great strides passing the ball during the regular season, he only had 24 touchdowns. More of a threat, obviously, on the ground. Got close to 1,000 yards, didn't go over. Steve Spagnolo, can you drum up something with, with Chris Jones, with Karloftis at defensive end, two players with 10 or more sacks on the D-line? Can Drew Tranquil and others at linebackers slow it down, and can that back end control anything that the Ravens are going to send at them? Crossing patterns deep. Who can stay with Zay Flowers? Rashad Bateman. OBJ, is Andrews going to be back? You already have Isaiah likely at receiver. This is a multifaceted Ravens attack. Can they, if they can make them one-dimensional, which is a hard ask, can they keep the Ravens under 125 rushing for the game? And I think the Chiefs will have a real shot. Conversely, can the Baltimore D limit Kelsey and Rasheed Rice? Those are really your only, your, your two main threats through the passing game. I'd love to see Isaiah Pacheco run for over 100 yards. It's still shocking to me that they only averaged 105 a game with how much more committed they were to the run. But just that just goes to show how skewed they were offensively, such a pass-heavy team. And of course, you're going to be pass-heavy with Mahomes, even in a season where you don't really have many receiving options minus the familiarity and trust he has with Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice emerging. Will Andrews play? It was a long shot for the divisional round. Much better shot here. He would be just another, obviously, weapon. A Pro Bowl, all-pro caliber tight end weapon for Lamar Jackson and the offense. Now, of the last four meetings between these two teams, Baltimore has only won once, but it was the most recent meeting, I think in 2021 or 2022. And that game was in Baltimore. 
It is tough to bet against either one of these quarterbacks. It really is. Someone, unfortunately, has to lose. I think this is a game Baltimore wins 24-20, close game, and I think the spread's at 3-3.5, so right around the spread. Whoever runs the ball better is going to win this game. And right off the bat, you it just feels like the Ravens are going to run the ball better. It just feels like they have the horses, they have the line, the quarterback as some, obviously Lamar being mobile, someone you have to account for on running downs or passing downs to run the ball. We'll see if, if Spagnolo plays a rush contain like the Niners tried to do against Lamar, which worked for the most part other than that big 30 plus yard run that he had uh, in the third quarter on that Christmas night game. Or does he send the blitz? Does he say, you know what? Lamar, we know you're a fantastic athlete and you, we know you've made strides passing the ball. But we're coming after you. Are they going to play man? Are they going to put their corners, their secondary on an island? Are they going to trust linebackers to cover either Likely or Mark Andrews? These aren't running backs that catch a lot of passes. Hill or, or Edwards, you don't have to worry about them too much like you do more so with Pacheco and McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from the Chiefs standpoint. How much pressure is Spagnolo going to dial up and make Lamar beat them with his arm? Because I think that's the key. That's the chance that the Chiefs will have. And of course, turnovers. You lose the turnover battle, you're going to lose the game. You saw it on Christmas night with the Niners. Five turnovers, lose by 14. You saw it last week with the Lions and, and Bucks. Bucks lose by eight. Turn it over twice. Detroit, no turnovers. In a lot of ways, the difference in the game. All those things being equal, I can't predict turnovers. I can't predict sacks. I can't predict strip sacks, fumbles, punt returns, kickoff returns, any of that stuff. All things being equal. And the game plays out a clean game. I think the Ravens win 24 to 20, which would set us up potentially for Christmas Day Super Bowl rematch of San Francisco versus Baltimore. This is a really weird championship game weekend for me. Automatically, if the Lions beat the Niners, I would usually root for the AFC team because I'm not going to root for the team that beat the Niners. But these are two teams that beat the Niners either recently or in recent Super Bowls. The Ravens recently and in a Super Bowl. The Chiefs recently and in a Super Bowl. Can't root for them. And how, even with a Niner loss, how could us as Niner fans honestly root for Mahomes or Jackson? And how, conversely, how could you not root for the Lions? Lovable losers. Now three playoff wins in total in the Super Bowl era. Two happen to be this playoffs. It's a two-week wait between the NFC Championship game and Super Bowl. I will be smarting. I will be pissed the couple days after the NFC Championship game, especially if it's a heartbreaking loss. But I'll get over that because I'm an adult, and I will root for the team that has never been there. How could you not? Like if the Jets get there, assuming not against the Niners. If the Browns get there, assuming not against the Niners. Even the Texans, although they're only 20-ish years old. Teams that historically, like when the Cardinals made the Super Bowl, when the Bucks, when the Saints, you know, teams that just have not. Like if the Vikings get there at some point, I, they haven't been there in, in my lifetime. How could you not? It'll be tough to shake that loss off. But like I said, I'm an adult and I can't root for the Ravens or the Chiefs. So that concludes the podcast for today. 
Like always, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule for making us part of your listening routine. We hope, and I'm sure you will enjoy, championship game weekend, 3 o'clock, and the nightcap, Niners at Detroit. I have both home teams winning in relatively close games, actually both four points respectively, and hoping the Niners get there and hoping they can right the wrong of what we saw on Christmas night Get the Niners, Shanahan, and Brock Purdy some vindication and hopefully bring home that sixth Lombardi trophy. Until then, you still got hockey, basketball, WNBA, a lot of stuff going on, TV happening. If you want to watch Halo, season two dropping in a couple weeks. If you want to catch up on that, whatever you do, enjoy, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay safe, and we will talk soon. Take care.